Hey, it's Madison, the Black Eagle, and here's a highlight from today's show. Let me welcome Kate Oswald. I mean, hey, hey, uh, Ms. Oswald, first of all, thanks for coming on the Madison Show. Let me tell you how this came about. Uh, I was, you know, I was watching the news, the evacuation efforts in Afghanistan, and, and our, you know, we, we, our hearts go out for them. We know that. But it was just, I guess it was earlier this week, I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Other than the all-black news channel, which I watch every every day, the Haiti kind of disappeared mm-hmm. uh, from the from the news cycle. Well, my good friend uh, uh, Tom Sherwood, who used to write, used to be a reporter with the local NBC station, was listening to the show, and he said, "You got to get a hold." Uh, to the, the the partnership officer at the Partners in Health, and that's why we decided thank to get you on, and I appreciate you responding. Um, Haiti is still dealing with uh, several crises right now. Uh, talk to us about it because it's I I just don't want to I don't want to take it off the the news cycle. No, thank you so very much for caring. And we were just commenting on that uh, yesterday in the in the team meeting that it seems like, okay, there were the first few days, uh, there were a few reports. And now it's gone back to the, you know, to Afghanistan and all of the other understandable um, challenges that are going on right now. But Haiti, you know, we we know for a fact the importance of of Haiti for, uh, you know, the movement for um, for liberation and you know and and so to have Haiti have this acute on chronic challenge, right? This acute challenge being the earthquake that just happened on August 14th, but um, Haitians have been dealing with increased food insecurity and uh, civil unrest for about three years now. And so this came out uh, about after less than one one month after the uh, former president had been assassinated. So right. it, you can imagine how hard it is to respond. And, and, and I should point out, uh, uh, tell people about your organization uh, before we go on, Partners in Health. Sure. Um, Partners in Health was founded in the early 1980s um, as a partnership uh, of Haitian physicians and nurses uh, who were committed to providing care in in some of the hardest to reach mountain communities in in rural Haiti, and our organization that's based in the U.S. in Boston, where I'm calling in from, was founded to support our Haitian sister organization, Zami La Sante. So for the past 35 years, we've been working together as as you know one organization to improve the public health system with an. Uh, specific focus on reaching the communities most uh, hardest to reach. And this would be the case with the region that was hit by the earthquake, correct? Correct. And um, unlike the 2010 earthquake, which impacted the capital city, um, this earthquake 
was in the southern part of the country. And so extremely remote rural mountain villages uh, and, and making it that much harder to save lives and to get to people quickly. Mm-hmm. Even even and and uh, Kate Oswald is the uh, chief policy and partnership officer at Partners in Health. Uh, we took uh, the Joe Madison show. We went to Haiti. Uh, what was it, Sherry? I mean, went after it was twenty ten, and it was like a week after the after the uh, earthquake that oh, hit wow. Port. Yeah, that mm-hmm. hit Port-au-Prince, and we we were there <laughs> the whole week. I mean, we stayed there an entire week talking to people and reporting back to the uh to the uh to our listeners here um and we and and we saw firsthand just how important getting medical equipment and staff in even to getting it into Port-au-Prince and from what i understand with this region even before the earthquake it was like one road in one road out that's absolutely correct and it had been um completely cut off for a few uh, months because of a challenging security situation in in the in part of the that road um, in the communities of Martinson. Now, so when you even, say security, when you say security uh, uh, concerns, what are you talking about? Um, there are gang uh, communities that had been controlling that area, so uh, there was no ability to get back and forth. And so, one of the first interventions of, uh, that the the current prime minister made was to ensure that there was an ability for uh, you know transport of safety safely of people, of uh, medical equipment, of supplies, so that the road could be used. But many are still depending on uh, barges and airlifts to ensure that uh, everything can get back and forth through the zone um, mm-hmm. safely. And when we, 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 how many people are we are we talking about the reason I bring that up? I'm, I'm going to say I don't care if it's one or one thousand, uh, sure. but we we hear we hear out of Afghanistan the numbers. We hear all oh, ten thousand, eight thousand. What are we talking right. about as it relates to uh, this region in Haiti? Sure. So we're talking. You know, the the communities impacted uh, have a population of over two million people. Um, there's 17,000, um, you know, that are have been listed as uh, injured or, you know, known to date that, um, you know, have been registered as impacted directly, uh, uh, you know, injured by the earthquake. Wow. But the number uh, who have and, and over 2,000 have lost their lives that are accounted for so, for so far. Um but the numbers in in the communities are over two million of a population of eleven million in the country. Wow! Now, and, and so, who do you? How does your organization? Who do you work with? Um, mm-hmm. Do you work because the government is still reeling from the assassination of their uh, of their president and attempted as, uh, assassination of the first former first lady. Who right. uh, who are you dealing with? Uh, uh, I mean, in the in, in the uh, in, in the Haitian government right now. Mm-hmm. So the good news is that the at the at the district levels, at the you know the subnational levels, the um, departmental directors for the Ministry of Health, 
the regional directors for civil protection are very active and mobilized and still in place. And so they have been crucial uh, to work with first and foremost as the, um, you know, as the responsibles and the coordinators for the response. All of us learned um, and you know, there's this mantra: never again. We don't want to see the 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 disjointed nature of the 2010 response re- repeat itself. So it's been really um, quite moving for me personally. I I was in Haiti when the earthquake happened in 2010, and to see how uh, the support this time has been really focused on: make sure you know which groups actually have boots on the ground in this region are long-term partners are committed to not just two weeks of emergency response, but who are going to be there for the long term. It's been essential. So I don't want to misrepresent and say that Partners in Health is based in this in this impacted area. We were lucky that all of the network of 17 public hospitals that we manage in the central part of Haiti were not damaged. But because of our 35-plus years of work, we have trained a number of the physicians and nurses that are uh, on the ground in the communities that were most impacted. And so immediately, we were able to send materials and equipment within 24 hours of the um, the earthquake to some of our colleagues that, um, you know, were first responders. And mm-hmm. we have a strong partnership with a group called Health Equity International based in Fondeblan, which is one of the communities impacted. And uh, we've been able to have some of our orthopedic and uh, trauma surgeons from the central part of Haiti providing surgeries there together. And so that partnership and that long-term commitment to me are essential uh, for sustainable, you know, continued Mm -hmm. uh, uh, health system. Now, the the news uh, that we saw this morning, uh, that it was timely that we would be uh, able to have you, you on with us, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the United Nations announced they're they're allocating 187 million dollars, uh, I guess, in relief efforts. How will this help? And what do you just explain how that will work? Because sure. once again, it's getting a- it's getting it into the right hands to make sure it's it's done effectively. Exactly, and I think. Um- you know, it's it. That's wonderful to hear. I actually hadn't seen that that news from 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 the last day, um, but to to know that um, you know the way the UN system works, they have many different branches. So there's the World Food Program that manages um, logistics and uh, emergency feeding. That will be, I'm sure, that will be part of that response. There's UNICEF that. Um, you know, worries about water and sanitation and health care for children um, and psychosocial support. So I'm sure that will be, um, you know, really incredibly important. There's the IOM, which is for migration and supporting people who are internally displaced in, pl- mm-hmm. in situations like this. So again, I'm sure that will be incredibly yeah, helpful and, with shelter and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, you you yeah. hit it because we're looking at the story right now. And you, you you got it. Its funding will be used to provide shelter, water, sanitation, emergency health care, food protection, 
and early recovery right. assistance. Yeah, so that's where that's going to go. Well, yeah. um, so what does your organization need? What What would you want? How can this audience? How can my audience help? Thank you for asking. Wow, that's incredible. Um, you know, I I I'm sure you've heard this from other partners. Um, it, we're always moved as humans to want to physically find something that we can tangibly give. And in this case, I'm going to you know be a broken record and say the most important way that you can help is actually to donate money, so that we can then ensure that we're purchasing locally with local supplies to support the community most impacted. If we're bringing things in, it takes longer. They're not supporting um, the, the farmers and the local communities. And so every dollar we raise is going directly to investing in, um, you know, purchasing anything that is available locally. Uh, the, the shoe drives, the food drives, lovely, wonderful gestures, but not going to immediately help so yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah. You, you know a reason i uh, <laughs> i i i'm hearing you uh one of the things <laughs> we we uh after katrina i'm mm-hmm. just sharing this with with you in the audience after katrina we took the show from mobile alabama and we drove down the coast and went all the way got to houston and people were sending like you said shoes clothing Winter, winter clothing in Houston in the summertime. Um, but they, they were sending. But then what we found out, what the folks on the, the boots on the ground were telling us, we're spending an exorbitant amount of time. We have to separate all of this. Exactly. Uh, you know, it, and people, they mean well. I know they, they do mean well. But, but, but with the financial contributions, you can get, you can get it uh, a lot cheaper and like you said, usually from from folk in Haiti who also exactly. uh, need it, uh, and and it's five dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars. That's that's the best way that you can help. Now, so where should people, if they want to make a contribution, uh, who do they make the check out to? PayPal or, or how should? What's the most effective way to do it? That's great. Yes. So- we have set up an emergency appeal um, and donation page right on our website. That's the easiest way to do it. And the website is very easy. It's just pih.org, Partners in Health, pih.org. Okay. And all of those dollars are going directly to investing in this response. All right. And that's important to know, too. So that's a special funding source. And what I'll have the producer do, Sam Nassau, uh, we'll get this up on our social media and uh, we'll make, uh, uh, I, you may not be aware of this, I have a cuss jar. Uh, uh, well, I, I, I'll explain. You're, you're such a nice Love lady. It. I don't Love it. Well, in, in yeah. Sirius XM, we, I get to be, what, what's the word I should use? Unfiltered. <laughs> from exactly. But, but what I decided, I'd put a dollar in the cuss jar and then donate it to worthy causes. So we'll find out what's in the cuss jar and send it to you. <laughs> I, I know. Hope it's a lot. I, 
And well, <laughs> that's what the that's what the ministers say. We'll pray for you, but I hope there's a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I'm just being I'm I'm trying to have a little fun in this. But but now let me also ask this question. I'm watching this airlift, and this is this is just me mm. talking off the top of my head at the time. I was watching the airlift out of Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, should there be, and, and uh, you know, it's just your personal opinion, or I don't know if this is policy or not, but shouldn't there be airlifts like they're doing in Afghanistan? Uh, I know the U.S. Coast Guard it, it works is, mm. is on the ground there. Um, because I would think that at least temporarily get folks as many as you can out of that region, uh, and, and, and bring them here to the United States, like we're doing with Afghanistan. Yeah. Oh man. I, I wish I, I, uh, you know, was really well-versed on this, but the, the complexities of, um, the relationship between, um, uh, it, after the last earthquake, uh, yes. the U.S. did offer temporary protected status for okay. anyone who had come from the from Haiti uh, during that period, whether they were seeking care or whether they had, you know, if they were in the country, they could stay. Right. And it was just actually um, on, I, I think it was July 27th or June 27th, it was re-upped. Again, so anyone who was in country as of that day had temporary protected status for the next two years. That's great, but for, that didn't impact on August 14th. So anyone who was in country in Haiti during the earthquake, oh, you know, 10, 11 days ago, uh, it, that does not apply. So um, there, there are flights that are going back and forth. Those who have access to uh, a passport and visa and have um, are able to evacuate. Does that yeah. help the most rural and um, poor, uh, those who have not had access? No. Um, do I personally uh, think that that's the best solution in this case? Um, I am a humanitarian and would always want the best for every human. Um, but I, I often, uh, just knowing how challenging um, it can be to uh, be someone new in a new country, uh, I, I would, I, I would be an advocate for getting more money into Haiti Mm -hmm. to help rebuild systems and to protect. So, so that, um, it's, it's not like we're dealing with, uh, an insurgent for, you know, it's, it's a very different situation. You don't have the top, you don't have a Taliban. Now the gangs are out there, but they can, they can. They, you can, you, you, as you say, you can deal with them. But that's a very good point. And the one thing we learned uh, in in 2010 were the Haitian people. Uh, what's the word you use? Very resourceful. I mean, I, I mean, that was one of the things that we 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 certainly brought back uh, in our broadcast. Uh, it mm-hmm. was amazing to see yep. how independent and resourceful they were, even though their government was in shambles. Uh, and, and I would suspect that's probably true in this case. Absolutely. And, and you know, uh, because this is an acute 
on chronic challenge. Uh, communities have found ways to to ensure um, well-being, and so uh, a lot of it, as you know, as we've seen here and with the COVID response, the mutual aid and the supporting each other, that solidarity is incredibly strong. And uh, yeah. I, I had the privilege of living in, in Haiti and working with my colleagues. We have over 6,600 um, Haitian colleagues in that, that run Partners in Health, Zamila Sante in Haiti. And, um, you know, a, a quick anecdote just from this past week, uh, you know, we have a number of our colleagues that work in the central part of Haiti but are from the South, which was uh, impacted. And within two days, our staff had organized a fundraiser together or, you know, pulled money together, pulled food packages and um, tarps and tents together and uh, brought them to the South Mm -hmm. to support. And so that level of, um, you know, of supporting each other is something that, uh, you know, I think is what keeps the fabric of the incredible uh, spirit of Haiti and what it represents for the world um, together. All right. We'll get this uh, information and please, um, audience, uh, let me encourage you and to, to make a financial contribution and I always tell folks, don't underestimate the value of a dollar, five dollars, ten, or twenty, or whatever. Uh, it can go a long way. And as you heard, um, uh, heard our guest say, one hundred percent of the money goes to the uh, uh, to the relief effort there. Thank you so much, and we'll check back in uh, with you. And I appreciate you being here on the Madison Show. Absolutely. Thank Ms. you so Oswald. much for yeah, the Kate Oswald. Yeah, thank you, uh, Kate Oswald. Thank you very much. We are prepared to uh, launch investigations with our Office for Civil Rights to ensure that all students have access to this fundamental right of education. And, and it's sad that we're talking about this now. We're going to use our Office for Civil Rights to investigate any claims that come forward to make sure that students' rights are kept. And we're also going to ensure that the funds are available to those districts that uh, are doing the right thing to make sure students come in safely. Withholding funds doesn't usually work. It, if anything, it adds insult to injury to these yeah. students who are trying to get into the classroom. And to these parents who have told me repeatedly, I, I just want my children back in school. That's where they learn best. And that is, of course, uh, our Secretary of Education, Secretary Cardona, who's on with us here on the Madison Show, back with us. And thank you, Secretary Cardona. Um, is there anything you would want to add, or how has that recent uh, declaration um, worked out for you in the Department of Education? You know, well, first of all, thanks for having me. Love to be with you. I, I love our conversations and being able to speak uh, to you directly and to your audience. Uh, you know, we're, we're finding that people need uh, people across the country. I've spoken to superintendents who said. We appreciate the strong stance on this because we're struggling in some places to make this about health and safety. It becomes political. So I am hearing from folks that they appreciate it. Other folks are saying, I want more. I want you to do more. I want you to mask mandate. And, you know, that's out of my reach in terms of Secretary of Education, what I do. But I think we've heard a lot of positive feedback around um, the need for these strong messages so that uh, we can make it about health and safety for students. 
We're not done, though. I mean, there are still places that are pushing back um, and pushing policies that are uh, not making schools as safe as they can be for our students and staff. But I, I'm pleased to say that we have seen some progress. Places like Orange County um, reversed their, their thoughts, and they're moving forward, um, allowing local districts to make the decision to put masks if they feel it's best. Um, and and I would also I would imagine you are one of these individuals that and and and, and that probably are really sad that this is this mask wearing has been politicized. I mean, my position is it should not be. I mean, it, I've got grandchildren um, as young as four. Uh, soon one is soon to go into what is it pre kindergarten. And, a, and an eight-year-old um, and a grandson who, for the first time, <laughs> uh, Secretary Cardozo, he's, this, he's now the first time he's walked into his, uh, his school. Um, there, there is a danger in politicizing this, isn't it? I appreciate that perspective. You know, at the end of the day, I'm a father, former Secretary of Education, and like parents across the country, across the world, we just want the best for our kids. We just want them uh, to thrive. And we know that if we don't follow what we know we can do to keep them safe, there's a likelihood that their learning is going to be interrupted again. Um, we need to protect our students. Why are we politicizing this? This is the most basic thing uh, to protect our children. That's what we're talking about. And, uh, you know, we have folks that act like, you know, that the, the science around masks preventing spread of COVID-19 isn't accurate. It's deeply concerning that we have political leaders um, putting policies in place that are putting people at risk. And, I mean, look at the data. Look at the ICU, like, overflow. Like, there's no space for patients in some of these places where they have these mandates against uh, local educators doing what they know is right. Um, so that's why I've been really vocal about this. We, we need to do what's right for kids. We need to protect our students. We need to let our educational leaders do what they do best, keep politics out of it. Now, the, the other uh, issue, uh, and we just ended up watching the House of Representatives, it still has to make its way through the Senate, the $3 trillion infrastructure. Is there, what part of, uh, of that $3 trillion can be used for education. The ARP funds, uh, the goal of the ARP funds is to safely reopen schools. So what we've seen across the country is the use of those funds to improve ventilation systems so that, you know, you can walk into a school, you don't know the ventilation system is not high quality. But when we're talking about an airborne uh, pandemic, we need to do everything we can to make sure that the airflow is adequate uh, we need to make sure that there are appropriate masks, that cleaning materials are available. So that's building confidence in our communities, especially in our communities that have older schools where uh, some people maybe don't feel as comfortable sending their children because the school might be 150 years old. But when you take some of that money, $130 billion, and you invest it in infrastructure, because I firmly believe, Black Eagle, that infrastructure is equity. Right? When we have, we, all students deserve to be in a school that's safe, healthy, and uh, a place where they can thrive. So using that money to make sure the facilities are good, to make sure that we have support for students that have fallen behind, and most importantly, make sure we have that social and emotional support for students who might have suffered trauma during the pandemic. It's really intended to really 
lift up our system um, and give resources to educators so that they can help students the best. Now, is there also some guarantee? I don't know if it falls, uh, Secretary Cardona, if it falls under uh, Secretary Cardona, if it falls under your purview as Secretary of Education. Um, but I have audience members who also are, are probably going to say to me, you got to ask him if minority vendors, Hispanics and blacks, uh, women, uh, will be getting part of that money. And is there any uh, guarantee written into the uh, into the bill? You know, I love that thinking. Uh, I love that thinking because the pandemic has disproportionately impacted Black and Brown people. Um, I remember where I was standing when I when I first heard last year that uh, the mortality rate with Black and Brown folks is higher. Um, the economic impact on Black and Brown folks was higher. Um, so we know that the pandemic has impacted black and brown folks more. And we want to make sure that as we recover, we're offsetting some of that economic impact um, and some of that, uh, that, impact, that, that, that impact on their health also. So while I don't know specifically uh, on, for this call whether or not the language has certain earmarks that have to go, certain percentages that have to go toward black and brown uh, businesses, I will tell you, that the president's Build Back Better agenda, um, the focus really is around making sure we're equalizing the playing field. We, there's more funds going directed specifically toward HBCUs, for example, um, to ensure that we have uh, another set of funds to ensure that we have black and brown teachers in the classroom. So this equity lens through which we're looking at this recovery is, is, is strong, and I, I applaud your, your listeners and yourself for asking that. We need to build back stronger, and we cannot go back to those systems of inequities that existed before the pandemic. And we can't be blind to the fact that the pandemic made them worse. So thank you for asking that. Know that it is my responsibility to ensure that, our, uh, you know, that the funds are going toward places that need it the most. Uh, I think the way we set up the ARP distribution, we're focusing on equity and stakeholder engagement to make sure that these questions are being asked at the local level where they're using the funds or they're spending their funds. Right. Secretary Cardona, thanks for coming on the Madison Show, and we'll be in, back in touch. I, I so appreciate you taking the yeah. time to be with us. Thank you. Always, always great to talk to you. Take care. Okay. And, 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 and great for him to talk to this audience. You know, let me point out something, especially that last question and that last part. So you've got $130 billion for in basically education, like part of the money, it's got to be used for older antiquated schools to make sure that the ventilation system is updated. Uh, the purchase of of masks to mitigate the impact of of this COVID epidemic. Um, but listen to what he said. The money's there, and it now is up to. Local community, here we go, local communities. This is what he said. It's up to your local governments to make sure that there is equity in the distribution of not only the money and that it goes into those neighborhoods that really need it. Now, the issue is, and you've heard me say this before, what's the, the issue is that poor, poorly underserved, 
black and Hispanic communities often don't get the resources. And one of the reasons, particularly on the local level, they're low voting districts. So who ends up getting the bulk of the money? They're low voting. Di- well, you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure that uh, this zip code gets the money. Why? Well, I'm a, I'm a city council member. I'm a mayor. I got to look after the folks who vote. What about the people who don't vote? Well, you know, maybe they better start voting. See, this is why we do what we do. So you got $130 billion, and that money is there and ready, ready, ready to get into so that we can open up these um, the schools. We'll, 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 we, we'll get uh, the Secretary of Education back. He's always been quite responsive to to us, but I wanted to address this one issue as it related to these schools opening, and particularly this mask mandate. And 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 of course, here's why I got he, he Joe Biden, uh, the President Biden, and and told the Secretary of Education, if you've got federal dollars going into these school districts, like in Florida, where the governor is threatening, including the governor of Texas, to to cut the salaries or take away funds to schools that are mandating something as simple as wearing a mask to stop the spread in our schools with our children, then is there some federal funding we can use and augment the salary so that these folks don't aren't punished uh that so that they can get paid and he said oh yeah yeah we can and that and that's why i wanted to get him on that's why i wanted to get him on you can listen to yours truly madison the black eagle live every monday through friday on sirius xm urban view channel 126 or anytime on the sirius xm app